Terrence Tong. Ah, thank you, thank you. I gotta be honest though, I ain't got no dog. I don't like dogs. That, I'm sorry, I am black and they will bite. So, here's the deal. Uh, I'm excited, oh, thank you, brother, I appreciate it. I am so excited to be here with you guys. And just like she said, uh, I travel across the country and during the school year, I'll go to schools and I'll do school assemblies for students. And uh, I'll talk about the importance of a dad hug. And you know what, I'm not even gonna get into that because we'll probably talk about that some other day. But think about it as this, as I go to these schools, churches and everything across the country, I have realized something. I am jacked up. I'm jacked up. Matter of fact, here's the deal, okay? I know some of you are looking at me with a little concerned kiss look on your face, and you're just like, mm, I don't even know what that means, being jacked up. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you, little girl. <laughs> being jacked up means that you have got some problems. You have got some issues. Is there anybody in this room that can agree you're jacked up? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You are in a room full of brothers and sisters. It's all right. We're all jacked up. We are jacked up. Now, here's the deal. If you are sitting there and you're like, mm, I don't know what he's talking about, here's the deal. How many of you have ever taken a picture and you said, mm, not that one, and you like erased it and you took another one? Let's be real, right? <laughs> okay, the hands and feet. Okay, I see that. I see that. Now, here it is. I know that I'm jacked up because there have been lots of times where I'll like take a selfie or whatever. I, that, I don't know what that is. That's like my selfie dance. I don't know. But as I'm trying to take the right picture, there are lots of times where I'm like, oh, no, that, mm, I can't post that. That looks ugly. But the thing about it that has been my saving grace are filters, right? Does anybody in here have a favorite filter that they use on their pictures? Girl, I know you do. What, what is your filter? You're like, it's just pretty. It's just me. So I got my fr uh, my filter. It's Ludwig. I don't know if you guys know on Instagram. You guys know what I'm talking about. Ludwig, right? And it makes the colors just pop. And I'm like, okay, I got to make this blackness pop. So I'll use Ludwig on there for most of my pictures. Now, here's the deal, though. Like, there was one time I have my friend. His name is Joe, and he's like my best friend. We do everything together. We're going out. We're doing go-karts together. We're going out. We used to, like, do school similes together. He was my BFFFF, best friend's furry fun family. Ew. But every single time he posts a picture of him and I, I always end up looking jacked up. I'm like, bro, why you got to post that picture? I look messed up in that picture. He's like, no, 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 it's okay, Terrence. And then after a while, I was like, dude, stop posting bad pictures of me. And he goes, Terrence, that's just the way you look. And I was like, guess he's looking for a best friend, not me. You need to get out. But think about it as this. There are points and there are times in our lives where we may feel like we are jacked up. And it doesn't matter who you are in this room. You are jacked up. But the thing about it is this. See, in Jeremiah 1.5, it says this. I chose you before I gave you life. And before you were born, I selected you to be a prophet of the nations. You were chosen. Matter of fact, turn to the person next to you and let them know, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Now, 
there are very few people in this world that can point to the exact time and the exact place where they became jacked up, okay? But unfortunately for me, I know the exact time. I know the exact place that I got jacked up, and it was at my grandma's house. Now, here's the deal. Don't get me wrong. My grandma is off the chain, okay? She was awesome. She's dead now, but but she was off the chain. And the thing about it was this. My grandma, she did all these awesome things. Like every time you walked in her house, it always smelled like strawberry oatmeal. And for some reason, it was like, ooh, this is weird, but it's delicious. And, and my grandma, she was always excited to see you. And I'll never forget my grandma. She, every time she saw me, she'd be like, hey, baby, I'll miss you. I'm like, oh, grandma, I'll miss you too. And I'll never forget there's this one time, see, I grew up in Minnesota, and so we're living in Minnesota, and my grandma, she lived in Detroit, Michigan, and I'll never forget, come on, Detroit, I'll never forget, my grandma came to our house, and my grandma, she was there for a couple days, she was helping my mom clean up the house and everything like that, and my mom, she was a single mom, and so she had a hard time pulling everything together, so my grandma, she came over one week to help her out. But then in the middle of the week, my grandma came to me, and she said those words that made me feel all good inside. She goes, baby, I've got to talk to you. I was like, mm, girl, you can tell me anything, grandma. I love you. And she goes, after this week, you're going to come home with me. You're going to take a visit to grandma's house. I'm like, I'm going to take a visit to grandma's house? And she goes, yes, you are. Now, you guys got to understand, I have two older brothers. They are five and six years older than me. And so at the time, I'm like this little kid. I'm like seven years old. And my brothers, I'm like, hey, I'm going to grandma's house. You're not. And my brothers, they're just like, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. I don't even care. I was so excited to go to grandma's house. So I'll never forget the day we started to get on the bus and my grandma, you know, because we didn't have a lot of money, so we had to ride that Greyhound. So my grandma and I, we're getting on the bus. We've got our stuff all together, and my mom, she's outside the bus, and before I went in, she's like, okay, do you got your Twinkies? Because I used to love Twinkies. Do you got your Twinkies? Do you got your Legos? I'm like, yes, mom, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to grandma's house. And she was like, okay, bye. And then all of a sudden, my mom, she started to cry because my mom, she's really emotional. But I was like, bye, mom. I'm going to grandma's house. See you later. And I remember we drove off. And when we got to my grandma's house in Detroit, it was the bomb, okay? I'll never forget, the minute we walked in, maybe some of you can relate. Grandma was like, what do you want to eat, baby? I'm like, girl, anything you making, let's eat it. I'm ready. My grandma, she would always make me something to eat. My grandma, she always asked me, hey, Terrence, what do you want? You want to go to the store and get a toy? I'm like, do you even have to ask? Let's go, grandma. But the thing about it was this. My grandma, she was one of those, like, old-school, like, Southern Baptist church-going people. She went to church every single day. Now, you might be saying to yourself, how can you have church every single day? I do not know. And I remember it was like Monday night was prayer night. Tuesday night was women's devotional night. Wednesday night was prayer night for the whole church. Thursday night was outreach night. Friday night was prayer and all night. I'm like, man, God's already heard us later in the week. Why do we need to keep on praying like this? My grandma went to church every single day and every single Sunday. They would get on up and they'd have like all their tunes and there'd be ladies in the back like, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they would do their old songs. I am seven years old and I am going to church every single day, and I hate it. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, this is, okay, we've, we've been saying that saying all, all around the mountain. I get it. I get it. God wants us to get around this mountain. All right, let's do this. And after about two to three weeks, I reached my boiling point. At seven years old, I got tired of eating all the oatmeal my grandma could give me. I got tired of going to church every single Sunday and every single Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then finally, I'm sitting in church one day, and I'm seeing everybody. My grandma, she's one of the ladies in the church that's wearing the hats all the time, and she's jumping up and down. She's like 67 years old. She's jumping up and down. Hallelujah to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I don't know what came to my mind at that point in time. And at seven years old, I took off my shoe. And I go, I'm sick of this. And I threw it down. And literally, the whole church was like, oh. And my grandma was like, boy, you better put on that shoe. I go, no. I ain't putting on shoes. And I took off my other one. And I said, Grandma, I'm sick of this church. And all of a sudden, this like crazy black man came out of nowhere. He grabbed me by the shoulder and he goes, Do you want me to take him outside? And my grandma goes, You do what you gotta do. And I'm like, Grandma, what you sell me for? I'm like, Why would you sell me out like that, Grandma? And so all of a sudden, we go outside the church, and then the guy, he goes, all right, you see that tree over there? I go, yeah. And he goes, you need to get a switch. I'm like, oh, wait, hold up. What, what, what's a switch? I don't understand what you're saying. I am from Minnesota. We don't use things called switches. What is that? And he goes, you need to get a branch off that tree, and that's the branch I'm going to use to spank you. I'm like, whoa. I was like, for real? I was like, you ain't doing that to me. And he goes, yes, I am. Go get it. And I ran to the tree, and I ran past that tree. I was like, he ain't going to catch me. But for some reason, this black man, he was like the black flash. He, like, came out of nowhere, snatched me up, and gave me a spanking with a tree branch at seven years old. I remember this to this day. I was just like, why would he do this to me? And my grandma, she just sold me out. And so as soon as church is over and my grandma and I, we're walking back, I'm like, grandma, I hate this. I want to go home. And my grandma's like, come on, boy, we just got to go. I go, no, grandma, take me home. I don't want to be here no more. Take me home. And then that's when my grandma turned to me and she said, Terrence, you can't go back home. Your mom gave you to me. You have to stay with me. And at that point, I, I, I didn't understand. And I go, but that's, that's my home. That's where my brothers are, and that's, that's where my mom is. And my grandma, she bent down with tears in her eyes, and she goes, Terrence, your mom can't take care of you no more. You're mine now. See, my dad left when I was two years old. And after my dad left, my mom she had a hard time taking care of three boys on her own. And it got to the point where she didn't have enough money to take care of all her boys. And one of them had to go. That boy was me. And so, at seven years old, I came to the realization, I'm not good enough to be with my mom. She had three choices to make, and she chose me. I'm not good enough. Now, I, I want to tell you guys that, yeah, my mom did eventually come back to come get me. But that scar and that hurt and that pain stayed with me. And even if I'm being honest with you guys to this day, it is something that I still struggle with. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my mom. But after that day, 
when I got back with my mom again, I didn't want to ask her for anything difficult. I didn't want to bug my mom because always in the back of my mind, I always thought, what happens if she decides to give me away again? I got to prove to her that I am worth keeping. And you know what that is? That's shame. See, a lot of us don't understand it. And a lot of us, you might be sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I know what he's talking about. I know what shame feels like, but nobody else does. And I'm here to tell you today that unfortunately in this world today, everybody has shame. And if you don't know what shame is, I'll break it down for you. See, shame says, I'm not good enough. And this is how you can tell what the shame is in your life. Shame tells us we're not good enough, and then we do the natural thing. We start searching for our worthiness in other places. And there are two places that we always go to search for our worthiness. We go to people, to relationships, and then we go to our purpose. Now, later on this week, the, the whole point of today is I, I'm giving you guys the ending right now. I'm just going to fast forward to the end right now. The ending's this. You are good enough. You don't have to search in those other things. You are worthy. You are good enough. Today, we're going to focus on that, but later on in this week, we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about our purpose. But right now, I want you to know we can't get to those other places unless you know where your worthiness comes from. And here's the thing about it. When we search for our worthiness in other people, we fear when we are not interesting enough to other people and we believe we're a burden to them, we find ways to compensate for that. So, some of us lie and cover up truths about ourselves because we don't want people to run away from us because we feel like that lie that we're holding on to or, or that thing that we're trying to cover up, that's going to make us not good enough to be with these people. And I'm not just talking about uh, any kind of like romantic relationships. I'm talking about every single relationship. And that's why we lie to cover up things in our lives. And also, you do that, it's like you're putting on a filter. And we're putting on that filter, and we're trying to show the world all the pretty parts of us. Because if we showed the world the non-filtered of us, then they will see that we're not good enough, right? They'll see our flaws. They'll see the lies that we've told. They see the mistakes that we've, that, that we've done. And they'll go, yep. You're not good enough to be here. Or sometimes it comes out as you're not cool enough. You're not strong enough. You don't look pretty enough. You're not going to be smart enough. You're just not good enough. And also, when we go and we look for our worth and the things that we do, our purpose, we try to do things to show people and other people that we have value. And you, have, and you have to prove yourself. You have to earn the right to be worthy, right? If I get all straight A's, then my parents are going to be proud of me. 
That's, that's when I'm going to feel good about myself. Or when I, when I win the wrestling tournament, everybody's going to know that I am strong enough. Or, or maybe, just maybe, if everybody in school likes all my things, they tag it and they say, yeah, that's a cool picture. When I've got over 250 people liking my post, that means I'm cool enough. That means I'm worthy enough. But the thing about that is this. You will never get enough likes. You will never be the strongest. You will never be the coolest or the smartest. You will always find other people to compare yourself to and go, man, I'm not worth what they're worth. Now, in all of this, though, just know this. You were chosen. You were chosen before you were even born. And God selected you to be a prophet to the nations. God says, you are good enough. Turn to the person next to you and let them know one more time, you're good enough. You're good enough. Man, this got serious real quick, didn't it? Oh, snap. Some of y'all are like, I can't come back tomorrow. This is too much. This is too much. And the thing about it is this. Uh, every time we look for our, our worth and our value and people are in the things that we do, it's, it's kind of like this. A couple years ago, there was a bus driver that was doing a tour through the Icelandic tour. They were like touring all around Alaska. And so when the bus driver, when he got back, he gave a phone call out of the blue to the police. And the police picked it up and they were like, hey, what's going on? He goes, one of my people are missing. He goes, I can't find one of the tourists that I had on my bus. I have 50 people on this bus and I've been counting over and over and over again. And we have 49. I, I, I don't know where this other person is. I don't know. And so the police, they began this search party. They had 75 people come out. They had the rest of the tourists on the bus come out to search for the one missing lady. And he said it over and over again. Okay, this lady, she's, uh, she's middle-aged, she's Asian, she's about 5'4", and she's got black hair, and she's wearing a, a gray vest. And so everybody they knew, they're looking for a middle-aged Asian woman with black hair that's wearing a gray vest. They searched for hours and hours and hours until one moment, a police officer turned to a lady, he looked at her, and she was searching just like everybody else, and he goes, is that you? And she goes, me? And she, he's like, you're Asian. She goes, I am Asian. She, he goes, how old are you? Are you? She's like, I'm 40. And he's like, do you, where's your gray vest? She goes, oh, I changed out of that at the last stop. And then when everybody asked her, why didn't she know? She goes, I didn't recognize the description of the person they were talking about was me. <laughs> Get this. If I was to sit here and tell you right now and describe to you that there is somebody in this room that you are beautiful beyond belief, your strength makes other people encouraged, and you are smart enough to get past any obstacle, nobody in this room would think I'm talking about them. And just like that woman, we're out there and we're searching for something that's not really lost. It's already here. You already have it.
That's you. That's who God made you to be. A story that illustrates this really well is the story of the woman at the well. And if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can turn there. The uh, story of the woman at the well takes place in John 4, 4 20 through 26. Man, I got bugs like flying around my head. Ridiculous. And I think this story about the woman at the well, it illustrates really well between shame and the half-truths and then grace and the full truth. Because don't get it wrong, shame, it says you have messed up. And it's, it's true. You have messed up. You have made mistakes. You have said bad things. You have done wrong. And just like me, and just like everybody in this room, you are jacked up. But, oh, at first I thought you were clapping for that. You're like, hey, jacked up, all right. <laughs> but what grace says, grace doesn't argue that. Grace doesn't say, uh, that's not true. Because remember, shame is taking part of the truth, and it's just running with it. But grace takes the full truth, and it says, yep, you have messed up, and you are still worthy, and you have still been chosen, and you have still been selected. This story illustrates this well. Because, see, if you guys have never read the story of the woman at the well, it goes like this. And I'm going to try to shorten this just for you guys. But Jesus, he's coming off this long trip, and he is tired. So he sits down at the well, and his disciples, they have gone off to go get other things done. And then all of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes to get some water in the middle of the day. But the thing that makes this so crazy is that uh, she was going during a time where nobody was at this well. And see, usually when the women went to the well, they went as a group because this was a great place where women can just talk to each other and, and they didn't have to uh, hide themselves when other men were around. And, but this woman, she went there by herself and then Jesus sees her. And Jesus asked her, hey, can you get me a drink of water? And this woman, she's just like, uh, you, why are you asking me this? I'm a Samaritan, first of all. And just so you guys know, the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't like each other. Matter of fact, the Jews look so bad and down on the Samaritan people because they worship in a different way. They, they felt like they took what they had and they kind of like just abused it and they put other gods into it. And so they're just like, ah, Samaritans, they're gross and they're dirty. And so she knew that this guy, he must be a Jew. And she knew, I know I'm a Samaritan. Why is he even talking to me right now and then Jesus goes give me some water she's like uh dude why are you talking to me I'm a Samaritan woman this is like the ghetto version of the Bible dude, why are you talking to me and then Jesus goes if you knew who was asking you for a cup of water and then all of a sudden this woman she begins to realize that there's something different about this guy and for this part I'll take place I'll pick it up in verse 15 See, beforehand, Jesus offers, offers her a drink of water, of living water. And she says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then he told her, go, call your husband and have him come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right 
when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then she goes, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that there is a place where we must worship in Jerusalem. And then Jesus goes, woman, believe me, a time is coming when we'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You are Samaritan, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. Now, there is a lot of stuff in this, in this whole story right here. But I'm going to try to break it down because there are three things that happen that you and I and everybody in here, we can relate to. There are three ways that we relate to this woman. Number one, first of all, you guys got to know that this woman, you know what, matter of fact, I'm just going to go with number one. I'm going to stick to my notes because that's why they're there. Number one. This woman, she says she is tired of being who she is. She doesn't want to be who she is. And the reason why we know that is in verse 15 when it says, the woman told Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I, I, don't, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw from the well. This woman doesn't want to come to the well no more. Why doesn't she want to come to the well no more? It's pretty simple. Nobody wants to talk to this woman. She doesn't hang out with the other women because they don't want to hang out with her. She knows that not only is she feeling the shame of being a Samaritan, but I'm pretty sure everybody within the town knew her business. They knew who she was. And the other women in the town were like, nope, we're not hanging out with her. And so she goes down alone. How this relates to us? Simple. I know well, beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room right here that are tired of being who you are. You're tired of having everybody put their doubt, put their hurt upon you. And if you didn't have to experience some of the hurt that you have experienced, if you didn't have to be around some of the people that you feel like continually give you hurt, you'd be like, sign me up right now. So, this woman, she doesn't want to be who she is. Number two, we can relate to her uh, because she's a woman. Now, I know not everybody can relate to being a woman. I understand that. But what we can relate to is this, not being good enough. You guys have to understand that back in the day, uh, women, they were like a subclass of people. There is a reason why the women, when Jesus even asked her, go get your husband, because anytime a man talked to a woman, her husband had to be there because they had to let her know, hey, you are not in charge of yourself, and there's somebody else that's in charge of you. And in women, they weren't even around uh, to make decisions. They didn't let women make decisions because they just, they weren't good enough to make decisions. The man had to make the decision. And of course, uh, they have all these things 
that they thought about women. They had all these ways that they demeaned women. And we even see in the Bible that even some of the disciples thought this same way. Because when they show back up to meet Jesus, they're like, yo, dude, you're talking to a woman. What's up? Why would you do that? She was not good enough. And I know there are some people in this room where you've heard you are not good enough. And you can fill in the blank. You are not good enough to sit at this table. You're not good enough to be in this class. You're not good enough to be on this team. You're not good enough to go with those crowd of people. We've all experienced that moment of I am not good enough. And then last, we can relate to this woman because she has some deep hurts and a deep sin in her life. See, it says that this woman, she had been married to five other men. Now, a lot of times people just assume that she was just going around and she just divorced these men. But you got to remember back in the day, uh, men were the only ones that can divorce a woman. And so, and men, they died off quickly. Sometimes they just died because men die. That's what happens. But then other times they go to war and they get killed. They could have got sick. There are lots of other reasons why this woman could have been married five times. But the point is this. This woman had been passed up five different times by five different people saying, all right, I'm done. I don't need you no more. So, what do you do when you've been passed up? What do you do when there's a steady uh, circulation of people telling you you are not good enough, you are not worthy enough? You will go and you will search for your worth in other places. And this woman, she found a man that didn't even want to commit to her, and she stayed with him. Because if, if nobody's going to value me, I'm going to stick to the one that gives me very little. This is what shame does to each and every person. And every single time that you try to cover up your shame, then we're allowing sin to continue to grow into our lives as well. Uh, case in point, uh, I'll let you guys, I, you know what, I've never told this story in my life, but I'm going to tell you guys here today. Uh, growing up, I, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. And when I was 16 years old, I felt like I wasn't good at anything. And obviously, as you guys heard before, I grew up thinking a lot of the times I wasn't good enough to even be around my house. And so I, I constantly was trying to find ways to have people uh, say, Terrence, you are good enough. And so when it came to school and when I finally got saved, there was a girl uh, that was part of the group that got me saved. And, and she was just like, she was the one that prayed with me. She was the one that was like, all right, well, you want to come to our Bible study and you can start to learn more about Jesus? And I was like, yes. And she always took the time to like just pray and talk to me and, and help me to learn more about Jesus. But the thing about it was this, as time went on in 17, 18, I stayed in contact with this person. And I just kept on thinking to myself, man, I, I really want this person to know that I appreciate them and I don't want them to ever leave me. And so I just, I, I wanted to be in a relationship with this person. So I was like, please, I, I would love, and I did this big grandiose thing where I was going to ask her out on a date. And, and I did, I had flowers set up and I couldn't drive at the time. So I had a driver 
drive me to her house, and I picked her up, and I took her out on a date, and I made her feel so beautiful. And she was like, Terrence, I appreciate that. Thank you. And so the whole time, as we started our relationships, things started to happen in her life. Things started to happen where she began to grow shame and hurt in her life as well. But the whole time, I'm saying, it doesn't matter what happens to you. You're good enough, and I'm so glad to be with you. And this girl, she did not deal with her shame and her hurt and her pain, and it made her angry. And she began to get more angrier and angrier and to the point where she started to take her anger out on me. And even though we're in a relationship, she would call me names. She would put me down. And I would make excuses for what she said. I would make excuses for her anger. Oh, she'd be like, Terrence, I just, I just, sometimes you just annoy the heck out of me. I'm like, girl, you're so beautiful. I love you. I love you. No matter what she did, I made an excuse for it because I was just so appreciative to be in a relationship with her. And so when I became eight, 20 years old, I asked this girl to marry me. She said, yeah. We got married. Three years later, it was two weeks before Christmas. I came home, and she was gone. Found a note, and the note said that I am done with this Christian lifestyle, and I found somebody else. I'm leaving you. And right there, as this person that I had poured all this time and, and my life into, and I tried to steadily tell her, I am good enough. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about me. I'm here for you. All of a sudden, she says, I'm not good enough. And she goes. So it was Christmas Day. I'm sitting there, and I remember the house is all emptied out. I'm like 22, 23 years old, and I'm sitting on this couch, and I'm thinking, if I'm not good enough for her, I'm not good enough for anybody. And so I got a bottle of pills, and I held it. I poured it all out, got a glass of water. And I was like, God, if you don't show yourself to be real to me right now, if you don't show me that I am good enough, I'm going to end it. All of a sudden, I got a phone call. I was like, this is Christmas Day. Who is calling me? So I like wiping away tears and everything, and, and I pick up the phone, and it was this person that I, I barely even knew. It was this person that I didn't even talk to that much. I, I for, forgot their name, and they're like, hey, Terrence, I was sitting here, Merry Christmas. I, I was sitting here with my family, and you just popped up in my head, and I knew I had to call you and just let you know that, man, God loves you. And matter of fact, he gave me a song uh, for you to listen to, and I'm like, okay, I'll listen to the song. And I'm like trying to make sure that she can't tell that I'm crying and whatnot. And she's like, all right, well, my family, we're praying for you, and I hope you have a great Christmas. So I'm like, okay. And so I get off the phone, I listen to the song, and it was everything that I was going through at that point in time. I had made so many mistakes in trying to prove my worth and trying to prove my value that at that point, I'm like starting to find, trying to find other people to give me value. I'm starting to go around and start relationships with other people. But in that moment, she said, Terrence, just want to let you know you're good enough. Hung up the phone. Dumped the water out, put the bills back in the bottle, and I was like, all right, God, I got the message loud and clear. Funny thing is this. 
It was six years later that I would end up marrying that person that was on that phone that day. Thing about it is this. My worth, it didn't come from other people. I don't have to prove myself to them. God already said, you're worthy. I have chosen you. And just like the woman at the well, Jesus took the time to speak to her. Jesus took the time to say, hey, I know your shame, and I'm still calling you. I still want to offer you this living water. And the cool thing about that story is as soon as that girl uh, found out, realized this was Jesus, she ran back to the town, and she told everybody, hey, I think I found the Messiah. Come and see. She was an evangelist at that moment, and those people came to see Jesus. And remember the verse that I told you at the beginning of today. I chose you before I gave you life. And before you were born, I selected you to be a prophet to the nations. Jesus knew her shame. Jesus knew her sin. And yet he still called her. Jesus knew my shame. Jesus knew my sin. And he still called me to be with you today. Jesus knows your shame. And he knows your sin. But he still called you. You are good enough. So, here's what I want to do. I'm going to call the worship band back up here. And as they come back up here, I believe that the opposite of shame is grace. This is what grace does. Because, see, so many of us, we grow up thinking grace says that uh, you're not good enough, but I still care for you. You have messed up, and I still love you. But that's, that's not what grace really is. See, grace says, I know your shame. I know your hurt. And I love you. I call you. You don't have, you're already good enough. Remember, we're talking about a God that made the, the sun and the stars and the sky, and he made you knowing full well the things that you would do, knowing full well the mistakes that you were going to have in your life, and he still, he made you, and he called you. He said, hey, I've got a plan for this person, and even though they have done some bad things, even though they try to cover up and they try to put a filter upon their life, I am calling them to take the filter off. God loves you. God calls you with no filter. He says, you don't have to lie to me. You don't have to say and be somebody that you're not. I know full well who you are, and I am calling you. Don't hide your shame no more. You don't need to. This is what God wants to use through you. He wants to show you and show everybody else that, yeah, You've done some things wrong, but he's called you. And if he's called me, I know he's called you. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a perfect Christian. My, my job here today is not to make you a perfect Christian. My job here today is to remind you that through it all, he loves you. So go to him. Go to him with all your hurt. Go to him with all your shame. Last story I'm going to tell you guys today is um, a story about a woman named Mary. 
Enzi. Uh, I work with an organization uh, that fights human trafficking here in the United States. And uh, we used to, every Super Bowl, we used to get together, and no matter where the Super Bowl was at, we would do an outreach to look for those that are being trafficked. We would go out on the street and working with the local law enforcement, we would search for girls and boys that have been trafficked. People don't know, but in this country, there are over 300,000 girls and boys under the age of 17 that are being trafficked today. So we would go. And when we were in Arizona, never forget it. There's this older lady there, and she goes, whatever I can do to help, I, I just want to help. And so we're like, okay. So we would go out on the street, and she would be handing out to people all over the street, hey, we're looking for this person. Hey, we're looking for this person. And we would go into the schools, and we would talk about the dangers of human trafficking and the red flags to look for. And she was the first person in the gym that giving kids a high five. This old lady giving teenagers a high five. They didn't even know who she was. She's like, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you. And come to find out that this lady named Mary, that she had been a prostitute for over 13 years in her life and she got radically saved and she just felt like I have to give back I have to reverse everything that I've done wrong and so as she served she even said I I'm trying to save myself I I'm, I'm trying to let other people know that they don't have to be what I was so it's the final day and we all got together all the people that worked on this outreach and my friend, he pulled a bunch of money together. And as we're about to end, he goes, before we go, I'm going to call up Mary. And she goes, what? And everybody starts clapping. There's over 90 people in this room. And she's like, what? No, don't clap for me. Why are you clapping for me? And he goes, because Mary, you're good enough. And this woman starts bawling. Tears are flowing from her face. And in front of all these people, she goes, don't say that to me. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea how many times I've sold myself to other people. You can't say that to me. My friend, he brings out a card, a gift card with over $1,000. They had some other gifts for her. He hands it to her. He goes, Mary, you're not getting this because of the work that you've done here with us this week. You're not getting this because you've had a hard life. You're getting this because you deserved it a long time ago. You are good enough. You don't have to do any more, and you're still good enough. This lady who's 68 years old, bawling. Because for the first time in her life, she felt the weight of shame lifted off. She didn't have to hide the things that she'd done, and people still cared about her. People still loved her. That's you. Tonight, I want to, I want God to lift that shame off of some of you. I can feel it in here. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to hand out some note cards. And, and on these note cards, uh, there's one side that has the lines. This is your character. These lines, I don't want you to write on the lines. I want you to write in the blank spaces. And you know why? Because the blank spaces, it doesn't give you a way to write. It doesn't make it so it's neat. And it's like, all right, it's all in a straight line, and it all looks good, and i got to fit it in here. Nope. I want you to write it on the blank side. I want you to write, what is your shame that you have here today? What is it that if you, if you could feel it lifted off, if it was a sin that you are struggling with, if there's a moment in your life that happened, I want you to write it down here. 
take a moment. Think about it. And even for some of you, maybe you got to draw a picture of it. Maybe it's just one word. Whatever it is, as much as possible as it can be, I want you to put your shame on this blank side, this non-filtered, non-line sign. And as messy as you think your handwriting is, as messy as your drawing is not good enough, I don't care. I want you to put it down here. after you write it down, I want you to stand up. I'm not going to call all of you to stand up together, but as soon as you're done, I want you to just stand up. anything down or if you're like no I'm not doing this you don't have to stand up that's cool but if you wrote something down in that piece of paper that you just want to get rid of that you're ashamed about that you've been hiding that you've been putting a filter on and if you wrote it down in that paper I want you to stand up those that have stood look around you you are not alone in your shame in your sin in your hurt you're not alone and now is the time that we give that up so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to ask my leaders to come up here this verse. And when I read this verse, this is this is what I want to happen. First, when I read this verse, I want all of those that maybe for you, you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe for you, you know that you have messed things up. You, you have made things where you are like, I did this a long time ago. I did this last summer. Maybe I did this two weeks ago. And I didn't really take it serious. Or man, I have sinned so much that this is that point. So after I read this verse, I want you to come up here. And what you're going to do, you're going to stand in front of one of these people. They're going to take your card and they're going to look you in your eyes and tell you, you are good enough. And after they take your card and tell you, you are good enough, they're going to crumple it up and they're going to give you a big hug to let you know that you are loved. And once every, all the first timers or all the people that have recommitted, I just want you to come up here, get close. We're going to become a family. That's okay. Some of us didn't shower. That's cool. 
we're going to get close, and I'm going to pray that you receive Jesus for the first time. Or maybe for you, you're recommitting the second time, the third time, whatever it may be. I'm going to pray that you do that. So, here's the verse in Jeremiah 1.5. Never forget, God chose you before he gave you life. And before you were born, God selected you to be a prophet to the nations. If you want to give your life to Christ and you're ready to get rid of this shame and this sin, I want you to come up right now. After you get your hug, after you get told, don't, hey, don't walk away. Come back. Meet me up here. Let me get this out the way. Come close. Come close. Don't just walk back. Come up here. Come up here. Now, for all my first-timers, for all my, my recommitments, I, I want you to come here. Get a little closer. Get a little closer. I want you to look at me. Look at me. And if you are somebody in here, and maybe for you, you have asked Jesus into your heart, but you still got shame. You still got sin. You still got hurt. I want you now to come up to these people and give them your card. And you need to hear, you are good enough. And you're going to get your hug. But all my first timers, all my recommitments, we're going to pray. Now here's the deal. I need you all to get close. And my leader right here, make sure there are other people that need to get a hug from you, brother. You big and strong. They need that hug. Everybody else, come close, come close, come close. Because you and I, we're about to have a private moment right now. I know there are lots of other people in this room, but we're, we're going to have a private moment. So, here's the deal. I just want to talk to all of you right now. So, all my first-timers, all my recommitments, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Nobody else. Nothing else going on. Look at me. Here's the thing.
I'm proud of each and every one of you. So here's what we're going to do right now. Before you go back to your seats, don't go back to your seat right now. Here's what we're going to do. One of the things that I love to do when I have a moment with God is I want to sing his praises. So right now, the worship band, they're going to begin to play. And as they play, don't go back to your seat. No, you're not going back to that place. You're at a different place now. And so right here in this moment, I just want you to sing along. And even if you don't know the words, put your hand up and say, God, I'm here. I might not know the words, but I know you are awesome. I know that you have done something here with me today. And begin to just thank him for what he's done. Let's go.